And the devil, they know he exists. They know he's real. They just choose not to follow him. I've heard people say, I believe in God. So I asked them, are you obeying the Lord? Oh, uh, what do you mean? But what I mean is, are you trying your best to keep the first two commandments, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you? God, the Bible says that even the demons believe in his existence and shudder. In today's message, Pastor Mark challenges us to examine ourselves to see if we really are in the Christian faith. The greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, body, mind, and strength. Pastor Mark asks, are we trying to fulfill this commandment? And are we trying to obey the Lord? Or are we still in the driver's seat by making our own decisions without Jesus' daily input and guidance? Christ needs to not just be our Savior, but he also needs to be our Lord. A true sign of conversion is obedience to his word. Well, let's join Pastor Mark with today's edition of Come Alive from 1 Samuel chapter 6. Sometimes the world knows better knowing what we know and not doing it, saying, I'm not going to do it. That's taking a stand. Yet we know it, and we choose not to do it knowing we should do it. Kind of get what I'm saying? I mean, some of you are kind of like, dude, what are you saying? But only do they know this God requires sacrifice for offering, and not only do they know that, but they also know this God is a graceful God from what we read here. We see that they understand that he's a graceful God. They say, who knows? He may relent. Who knows? He may be gracious to us if we give these sacrifices an offering. Maybe he'll lift his heavy hand off of us. So he is a God of sacrifice. But they also know that the God of Israel is a supernatural God. Well, I don't see any miracles being performed here. And yeah, there is. So they try this amazing thing for heathens. That amazing thing is they take two mama cows. Two mama cows that have babies. What they do is they remove them from their baby cows. And they put a yoke on them. They've never been yoked. And so the natural inclination for these two cows would be to return to their babies. These little calves that are mooing and banging over there, looking for mom, looking for milk. And so they're saying, if God is in this, they will go away. They will walk away from their babies, go over the hill, and go back to where God is from. So they, they believe that he's a supernatural God. They believe in the sacrifices by what they offer and what they give. And so, think about it. These are the things that heathens know about God, Jehovah. We sometimes act like they have no clue about God. But in reality, they know a pretty good amount of information about God. How much information did you know about God before you came to him, before you were born again? Think about that. 
Now, some of it might have been a little twisted because somebody that fed you that information, or maybe you just picked up on it, or, you know, there are actually unsaved people in the church, believe it or not. They just come because they feel like it's a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. We've had kids. We should go to church, live a good life. Well, that doesn't get you to heaven. It's a good start. But as we talk about often, you're still a dead man that's just cleaned up or a dead person just cleaned up. So the world knows a lot about your God. The problem is they don't see you living like you believe your God is a God of sacrifice, a God of grace, and a God of supernatural things. You've got to ask yourself, do I live that way? Do my friends around me see that I truly believe that my God's a God of sacrifice? Do my friends around me see that my God is a gracious God? Do my friends around me see that I believe that my God is supernatural, that I believe in miracles and that God can do anything, heal anyone, provide anything for anyone? Do I believe that? Do they believe that I believe that? And some of you might be like, well, I don't know. You want to find out? Ask them. Just ask them. And be willing to hear that very real answer of no. I didn't even know you were a Christian. I've heard that before. I heard it the first time and I said, man, I'm never going to hear that again. I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell everybody I'm a Christian. That's a good start. But then, it kind of holds me accountable because I have to live it. Because remember, the world knows a certain amount how we're supposed to live. And they're pretty legalistic about how we're supposed to live in certain things. But hey, if it can convert some, win one soul. Just think about the party you helped throw in heaven. Just think about what you've done. So, I would ask your friends if you want to know. You know, some of us work for companies that actually send out surveys. It's okay for a company to do that. Hey, how are we doing as a company? I do that. I go out and meet with people, with, with the company, um, my landscaping company, and I ask, hey, how are my guys doing? And sometimes I have to hear, man, they stink. Look at all these weeds. It's like, oh, man. Yeah, I'm really considering of getting rid of you guys and going to someone else. Hey, bro, I don't blame you. I would too. But will you do me a favor? Give me an opportunity to fix that? There's some repentance. Will you forgive me and let me fix that for you? Give me one week. In this place, I'll have it turned around. All right, man. You got it. Then I go back and I ask my guys and I take pictures. Hey, can somebody tell me, when's the last time we pulled weeds on that property? Oh, last time we were out there. When were you out there last? Yesterday. Okay, do you see, see this milkweed that's as tall as a six-foot tree? Can you tell me the last time we pulled that one? Everybody gets quiet. What happened? Nobody knows. And if I press them long enough, they just kind of start looking around. But you know what? It's a great way to learn and a great way to grow. It's a great way to figure out, hey, what do I got to do to fix this problem? How do I save that relationship? Husbands and wives should do it. Go home today. Some of you husbands may be so scared to ask this question. Hey, baby, how am I doing as a husband? Are all things good? And you might have to hear, man, don't even talk to me. I've heard that before. I've asked my wife one time and said, hey, babe, what's going on? Is everything okay? 
I'm standing in the bathroom door and she's kind of fixing her hair or something. She's like, what I have to say to you cannot take place in a few moments standing in a bathroom door. From that point on, I'm like, oh gosh, she's got a boyfriend, you know, and (laughs) just freaking out. There's someone else. And she did. She took me. She goes, let's go. Let's go to lunch a few days later. I said, well, I'm not hungry because I'm scared. My stomach's nervous. I'm just like, I'm freaking out. She sat me in a car. And she kind of started crying. I'm like, oh, man, here it is. Here it is. I'm going to step down from ministry and all this stuff. I mean, everything that ran through my mind. And what I heard, I think I'd have rather heard I got a boyfriend. That would have been better to hear than what I heard. Just to be transparent and real with you guys. She was like, hey, last couple of months, you failed as a spiritual leader of our household. Ministry, work, your friends, you've made time for everybody in the church, but you haven't dated me. And I remember I was like, okay. And she goes, so, I'm going to give you a list of babysitters, and no more me doing date nights, you do it. You call. Man, we had a date the next week. I was like, man, I ain't putting this off. I'm not procrastinating. I have an alarm that rings on my phone, 9 o'clock every night, family devos. We don't miss them unless the kids are just knocked out, and then it's her and I. And then all the other stuff that goes along with being a good husband. I go home. Hey, babe, how, how am I doing now? Hey, I'm impressed. It's moving up. You feel like George Jefferson. You just kind of want to walk all proud and wiggly. Some of you young people don't know who he is, but he had a cool walk when he got excited. But here's the deal. If they did see all that spiritual stuff in your life, what would they say? I mean, you're going to know the answer probably before you ask some of those people, but I'd still, I want to encourage you to ask them. If they witness that thing missing in your life, how can they expect that God will be that way to them? If they don't see you believing that God's a supernatural God, a gracious God, a God of law and order, a big God, how will they expect that he's going to be that way to them when you try to tell them about him, when you try to witness to them, when you try to say stuff that, man, wow, God did this in my friend's life or did this in my life. So if they did see it in your life, They would see sacrifice, grace, and acts of the supernatural. Right? If you truly believe it, they're going to see it. If you told somebody you were a great manager and you were getting promoted, they would see those things in your life. They would see a great manager. Now, sometimes some of us think we're, you know, great in our own minds. But again, ask those people that are around you. James 2.16 says, you believe in God? Good. But the devil believes in God, and shudders about it. The world believes in God and shudders about it, possibly. The demons know God. They know who Jesus is. They just choose not to follow him. The demons and the devil, they know he exists. They know he's real. They just choose not to follow him. I've heard people say, I believe in God. So I asked them, are you obeying the Lord? Oh... Uh, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is, are you trying your best to keep the first two commandments, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you? When we say, I believe in God, are we doing those two? Just two. Two simple ones. 
See, there's a problem here. And that's what I always tell that guy who's just like, uh, what do you mean when I ask that question about the first two commandments? Well, what do you mean? Well, this is what I mean. I tell them, and they still say, what do you mean? Well, there's a problem here. While your heart is rebellious, you look for ways to appease God. Just like the Philistines. They're rebellious, and they're looking for ways to appease God. But you'll never really please God. You can appease him, but you can't please him if you're really not following him, if you're choosing to disobey him, because that would mean removing your idols, removing your gods. They don't want to lose Dagon, so what they do is they place the ark upon a cart, and they send the cows on their way, loaded down with golden hemorrhoids and golden rats. Rats and hemorrhoids. There's a gift. Look at verse 10. Then the men did so. They took two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, shut up their calves at home, and they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the golden rats and the images of their tumors. Then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh, and it went along the highway, lowing as they went, which means they're mourning. They're kind of mooing, kind of wishing they could go back to their babies, but they don't. Lowing as they went, and they did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. And so now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes, and they saw the ark, and they rejoiced to see it. Then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. A large stone was there, so they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as burnt offerings to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. And then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same way, or the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. Now, these guys are like, man, we finally got rid of the cart. Whew. It stayed. They can have it. They didn't want it anymore. And so they're like, man, we finally got it away from us. We no longer have to worry about the power and the presence of God anymore. That's kind of amazing sometimes when a real Christian walks into a non-Christian household and everything changes in that house. Things start to be hidden. And then when you leave, those people... Because I remember when I wasn't a Christian, and Christian, a Christian friend of mine would come over, man, it was, I'd hide books and magazines and stuff and put things... I'd hide everything. And then when they left, it was like, oh, dude, I made it through that. That was horrid. They'd be gone. It was back to the heathen way. See, some people operate this way. You can be crooked and remove God from you. You can continue to live a life filled with pressure. And, and turn God away. You can remain empty and try to fill the void with yourself or any number of vices that you may have or dead-end relationships. That's how the world is sometimes. They have a void and they constantly try to plug it. You and I know that from when we were not Christians before. But know this. It, it won't be the last time that these people or the heathen it won't be the last time that they see God. They think it is. Oh, we got rid of God. Awesome. It won't be the last time. There's a time of judgment. It was never God that was on trial when we think about it. It was never God that was on trial. It was the bent people, the crooked people, the empty people, the pressured people. It was those people that were on trial. God put them on trial. 
And maybe some of us here, you know, might be on trial. And, and the question is, is how do we respond to God when you come into his power and presence? Even as a Christian, maybe you're rebellious. Maybe you're pushing him away. Or maybe you're religious. Maybe you're religious. And, and so, you know, you think about that, being religious. Look at um, verse 17. It says, These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord. One for Ashkelon, and one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And then the golden rats, according to the number, verse 18, number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities, country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord. Which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh? And then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord, God? And whom shall it go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath, Jerem, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. And then the men of Kirjath, Jerem, came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained there a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So here we see that these people are very happy. They're stoked. They're excited. They found, the ark had found its way back home because of two cows. But note the serious problem with the religious people. Now we're going to pick on religious people, so to speak, or talk about them a little bit. And hopefully there's none here. And maybe if there is, then, hey, that's cool. Just... Today's a day of change. Today, we expect the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, the one true God, to do a work to change us. So they did something they were not supposed to do. And every one of us could say, they looked into the ark. We know that. But that's not the only thing they did wrong. That's not the only thing. But, but note the serious problem with the religious people. They looked into the ark, and they knew better. They knew better. I'm not sure how it happened, but anybody ever see Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? When they open up the ark and that thing starts to swirl around and their faces... That is just so cool. I was trying to get that on Netflix and trying to get it in time so Ace and I could watch it just so I could have a real cool visual and show him and kind of scare him. Like, hey man, every time you mess up with God, your face is going to melt. But Anyway, they look into the ark. They know better, right? They know better. And again, maybe their stuff faces did melt, but they knew not to do what they did do. They knew not to do that. And how many of us know not to do stuff? And yet, we do it. So God says, that's it, Beth Shemesh. And so we see here that a religious people, that's what they do. They walk according to rules, but not relationship. A religious person will walk according to rules and not a relationship. And when it comes to talk with God, it's a matter of terms, not truth. It's terms, not truth. When it comes to service, it's a matter of duty and not devotion. Remember, we talked about that a little while ago. And so when it comes to the sacrifice to God, it's obligation and not opportunity. See, sometimes we see this coming to church or reading our Bibles or praying with our wives and our family as an obligation, but not an opportunity. 
It's an opportunity. Sometimes we as Christians sit there and think, man, it's all about what I can't do when it's really all about what you can do. So here's this. A religious person has no real fear of God. They have a fear of man and what is thought of them. So if you have that fear, you come to church and you put on these things so people can see that I'm happy. I'm happy. I have no problems. I don't want anyone to know my problems. Then you might be a religious person. Write down Numbers chapter 4, verse 20. Numbers chapter 4, verse 20, if you're taking note. See, their Bible, our Bible, your Bible says, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't look into the ark, basically, is what Numbers chapter 4, verse 20 says. Don't look into it. But they, they've reasoned like this. Hey, this is not supposed to be on a cart. Because they know Beth Shemesh, Beth Shemesh is a priestly city. It's a city of priests. It talks about the Levites taking the cart down. So we know there's priests there. And they know this. And so they say, hey, this thing's not supposed to be on a cart. So they take it off of there. So they're probably assuming that, well, hey, since it's on a cart, been a few months since we've seen this thing, let's just peek in there. And then Shlomo's face melts off and all these other people die. It's a bad day in Beth Shemesh. So they reason like this. Hey, this is not supposed to be on a cart, but since it isn't being handled correctly, we might as well check out the inside. Since, you know, for so long we've gone to a church that didn't handle things correctly. They didn't teach God's word, and we got to do whatever we wanted. We got to kind of live like the heathen we used to be, and it was kind of a cool church, so we'll go ahead and we'll do that. Once I'm convicted, once I know, I'm going to go ahead and continue to live the way I used to live when I was in the world. And then we wonder why it feels like our faces are melting off. We wonder why we feel like we're dead. We wonder why our life stinks like we're dead. It's because we have handled things incorrectly. So, God kills them. But did the Philistines know this? Why didn't the Philistines get killed? you got to assume that they looked in it. I mean, think about it. Why wouldn't they? We just captured God. Let's see what's in the box. They lifted up. They probably looked in it. We don't read that they died. We don't read that they died. They just got hemorrhoids. See, we see God judge the Philistines according to their knowledge. They don't know a lot. They know some stuff, but not a lot. So God judges them according to their knowledge. Thank you for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark will have much more to teach us from this study of 1 Samuel when you join us next time. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mark, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Come Alive in your app store or on iTunes. Before our time is through with you today, though, Tracy would like to tell you how you can be a part of the ministry of Come Alive. Come Alive and radio programs like it are powerful tools that God is using to advance His gospel message here on earth. And we know that God is blessing many through the ministry of this broadcast. We want to make sure we keep God at the center of what we're doing, and that's where you come in. Would you keep Come Alive, Pastor Mark, and those who have heard this program today in your prayers? Your intercession on our behalf is greatly appreciated. Thanks, Tracy. Another way you can be involved is through financial support. Here at Come Alive, we rely on the kindness of donations to be able to provide you with quality-produced programs. 
we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating and want you to know that any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katy at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord and thank you for being a part of our listening audience today on Come Alive.